0: This is the Canty and Carlin Podcast.
1: He's Chris Canty. I'm Michelle Smallman. It's Canty and Carlin, ESPN Radio. And Chris, speaking of Madden rate ratings, did you see that Zach Martin got a 99? I said did
2: see that. The respect is what you that. get
1: paid in your Madden rating. He got the rating. Now he's looking to get paid.
2: Yeah, and I'm not mad at him for that. Michelle, just think about this for a standpoint. Dak Prescott led the league in interceptions last year. And you're talking about a guy over his last 31 games that has 35 turnovers. You mean to tell me that it's not important to have his best interior offensive lineman out there on the field to try to mitigate some of the pressure that might be coming up the middle so he doesn't make errant throws? I'm just saying, Dak already talked about getting rid of the tipped interceptions and those errant throws. But I'm sorry, if your quarterback is under duress, he's more prone to making mistakes. I just feel like there's got to be more urgency in Dallas to get a deal done with Zach Martin before the start of the regular season. And here's why I'm, p- I'm pushing the panic button. It's because Zach Martin has been working behind the scenes for the last calendar year trying to get something done, and the Cowboys have been reluctant to do it. That is a problem. That's why I think this is a big issue. When a guy like Zach Martin of his character is forced to hold out a training camp Because he wants a new deal, it just lets you know that he's exhausted all the other options. Cowboys fans need to be concerned about this.
1: Well, we're going to get more into the Zach Martin situation later with Chris Canty and Michelle Smallman on Canty and Carlin. But let's talk about another pair of teammates. Let's talk about Russell Wilson and his former Seattle Seahawks teammate, K.J. Wright. So we know that the Russell Wilson-Seattle Seahawks breakup was inevitable. It was a quite dysfunctional situation leading up to that, that divorce between the two parties. He's now with Denver. And K.J. Wright kind of reflected on that. He was talking about Russell Wilson and his time in Seattle and K.J. Wright is not the first former teammate of Russell Wilson's to come out and speak about what that situation was like, but he is the latest.
2: Yeah, that don't sound good, Michelle. No. That, That sounds like a guy that has been more about optics than about having genuine relationships and genuine connection with teammates, especially when you're a quarterback position. All of these guys are propping you up. We all recognize how talented Russell Wilson is and how he's a force multiplier, but he doesn't do it by himself. He needs his offensive line. He needs his wide receivers to catch passes. He needs his defense to get stops and create turnovers, generate field position. It all works together in order for the team to have success. And as we say in football, a high tide raises all boats. Mm -hmm. They did a lot of winning in Seattle, and Russell Wilson got his share of the credit for that. But I think Russell Wilson, in a lot of ways, has put himself in front of his teammates. If you think back to Super Bowl forty-nine and how that ended, that play call from Darrell Bevel was atrocious. They should have just handed the ball to Marshawn Lynch. It ends up being a pass play that gets interception, and the Patriots sealed the Super Bowl win. But it it just feels like since that moment, the the chemistry with that Seahawks team hasn't been right. And ultimately, it created a situation where Pete Carroll and Russ were forced to go their separate ways. And I don't think there's anybody debating who won the breakup. It was clear that Pete Carroll won the breakup between him and Russell Wilson. Russell Wilson had a career year in Denver in 2022. And the Seattle Seahawks were in the playoffs with Geno Smith playing out of his mind. But I say all that to say this. With all of the things that we heard at the end in Seattle about how there was a rift between Pete Carroll, Russell Wilson, and John Schneider and how Russ wanted more say, and how Russ had his own parking spot in Denver, and how Russ had his own office in Denver that was upstairs away from the locker room and up there with coaches and front office personnel. Those are all things that make you question just what kind of teammate is Russell Wilson? What kind of leader of men is Russell Wilson? And when you couple that with the disappointment that Denver Broncos fans had to live with last year, It puts much more pressure on Russell Wilson to get in lockstep with what Sean Payton wants, but also to ingratiate himself with his teammates in 2023 in order to get his career individually and the Broncos franchise as a whole back on track.
1: Yeah, there's, there's so much to dive into here, Chris. And, and I want to talk to you about being in that locker room and having situations like this unfold because KJ Wright is just the latest Seahawks teammate to speak out about Russell Wilson as a leader and as a teammate during that era. And if you're the Denver Broncos, you had, People in the league talk, people around sports talk. These guys talked publicly, but even before they acquired Russell Wilson, you had to know that that was a factor before you brought him into your organization. And then he comes in and he wants all these special privileges and he's acting a certain type of way. And it seems like they acquiesced to a lot of it, which I can't understand because it clearly did not pay dividends in Seattle. But now you have Sean Payton in town. There's a new sheriff in town. And while he might be trying to change the situation if you're one of his teammates and you saw how he acted last year maybe that was detrimental to the cohesion of the team or um to him being able to establish himself as a leader and garner that respect from his teammates even though there's a new coach there can he ever really change his perception with the guys that were in that locker room with him
2: well I will say this Michelle there are going to be more eyes on Russell Wilson and people looking to scrutinize him than ever before But just because of the the contract that he not only received, but the contract that the Denver Broncos gave to Sean Payton. Sean Payton getting paid $18 million a year, Michelle. They Mm -hmm. gave up a first-round draft pick for the head coach to, in part, fix Russell Wilson. If Russell Wilson can't make it work with Sean Payton, if he can't make it work with an offensive line that's been updated, this upgraded this offseason with Mike McGlinchey and Ben Powers, if he can't make it work with Cortland Sutton, Tim Patrick, and Jerry Judy as his wide receivers, if he can't make it work with Javante Williams and Sabah P. Ryan, if he can't make it work with a top-ten defense from a year ago, what does that say about Russell Wilson? Mm-hmm. What does it say about him? I mean, we're not only questioning what kind of teammate he is, but we're questioning the caliber of player he is. I mean, think about it. He got a lot of credit for a lot of winning in Seattle. They spent a lot of seasons going to the playoffs. I think there were only two years he was in Seattle where they didn't make the playoffs. If we now all of a sudden get to a situation where Russell Wilson can't, live up to the expectations that the Broncos had when they traded for him, giving up the first-round path draft picks, giving up the kind of cap dollars in, in, in the contract that they're paying him, then what does that say about the kind of player that Russell Wilson is? I'm not trying to have revisionist history, but I think the next couple of years go, are going to go a long way in terms of shaping our perception of what Russ's career has been. And, and, and a big part of him changing the narrative is making sure – that he's a better teammate to the guys in that Denver Broncos locker room to dispel some of the things that we heard from his former Seattle teammates.
1: So I went back this morning, Chris, and was rereading and revisiting a lot of what caused that breakup between Russ and the Seahawks organization. And one of the things that kept popping out about why Russ wanted out is that he thought Pete Carroll and the organization were holding him back. He thought if he could get somewhere else that it would be more favorable to him in so many different ways. Well, what happened? Pete Carroll wins with Geno Smith. As you mentioned, Russell Wilson. Terrible season in Denver. A lot of people last year pointed to Nathaniel Hackett. Maybe he was the problem. And now Russell Wilson has Sean Payton and things will turn around. If he can't do it with Sean Payton... We're we are going to squarely point to Russell Wilson in not one, not two, but three different scenarios where he couldn't make it work. He's out of excuses and he's an aging quarterback who's running out of time. And Chris, one of my my big things with Russell Wilson is I need less of Russell Wilson, the brand, and more of Russell Wilson, the player. I don't need you with a catchphrase. You don't have to give me let's ride all the time. I just need to put you to put your head down and grind it out a little bit. And it doesn't really give me a lot of hope, Chris, that we see him in offseason putting out the the heavyweight sliding around workout video it feels like he almost can't help himself that he just needs you to see the brand all the time
2: yeah and and that's the part right I mean he's saying let's ride and if I was a teammate of his I'm saying where the hell are we going (laughs) I mean because last year you had career lows when it comes to completion percentage the sacks I mean touchdown interception ratio those things can't happen for a guy that's making $47, $48 million a year. At some point, you got to step up and be better. And, and that's ultimately what we want. As a teammate, What, what, what the, the apology that I'm looking for is going out there and playing better. The apology I'm looking for is change behavior. I don't want to hear a lot of lip service from you. I don't want to see you trying to put on a great face in front of the cameras. Do all of the little things behind the scenes that make sure that your teammates feel like they're a part of the success that you're trying to have with the organization. Make sure that their teammates view you as a guy that's on the same level as they are. Michelle, a lot of very few people understand this, but the quarterback by nature is closer to ownership than the other 52 guys in the locker room. If you're Russell Wilson, you got to find a way to build a bridge between where you're at and where the other guys on that team are because those are the guys that you need to prop you up so you can do what you need to do in order to live up to the expectations that the franchise has for you. It feels like Russell Wilson in his first year in Denver went out of his way to separate himself from his teammates, and that has to change. Sean Payton can do his part by taking away the parking spot, by taking away the office, but Russell Wilson has got to do his part and letting the guys in the locker room know that he's 10 toes down with them and that he's with it he's in it with them instead of trying to be a guy that's above them
1: and it seems like instead of building a bridge he built a moat and that's not going to be a recipe for success at all well with all that being said do you think he can turn it around do you think we're going to see a bounce back season for Russ
2: no I don't I don't (laughs) because Sean Payton is a coach that wants his quarterback to play on schedule to get the ball out of his hands quickly. And Russell Wilson, what do we know him for? The second reaction plays, being able to extend the downs with his legs, playing backyard football. That ain't Sean's brand of ball. That's not Sean's style. Sean wants the ball out of his quarterback's hands in two and a half seconds or less. And Russell Wilson wants to pat that thing like he's burping a baby. That's not going to work. And so I'm curious to see how they're going to try to blend the two styles. But unless we see a drastic shift and Russ's philosophy and how he plays the game, then I think this is going to be more frustrating for Broncos fans than it is going to be exciting. And so, no, I don't think it's going to work, and I do think it's going to change how we look at Russell Wilson's career.
1: So Broncos fan, they could not get the quarterback situation there, right? It's no. like they're cursed. They just cannot figure it out. And Broncos fans might be frustrated this year. And in turn, they might be watching a lot of college football because they they might want to be looking at some guys that could be their potential quarterback moving forward. Canteen Carlin is presented by Progressive Insurance. Insurance for motorcycles, boats, and RVs for protection on the road and on the water. See how much you can save at 1-800-PROGRESSIVE and Progressive.com.
0: From the top five NFL quarterbacks, Burrow
1: touchdown! What a start!
0: Who actually has one of the prettiest balls I've ever caught in my life? To the top five NFL fan bases,
3: Bummer, Bummer. go! How about
0: We're ranking the top of everything in the NFL. This is ESPN Radio's
3: 158. Go
0: rank them. The top five college football players you should watch because your team stinks. <laughs>
2: I love it. I love it.
1: All right, Chris Canty, who's number five on the list?
2: Number five on our list. You know I gotta have a number defensive five. player. So it's gonna be linebacker Barrett Carter out of the university of well, I don't know if you call it a university. It's Clemson. Clemson Tigers football. Barrett Carter, linebacker out of Clemson, he will remind you of Michael Parsons when you're watching him play football. He can be an off the ball linebacker. He can line up on the edge and rush the quarterback. This guy can do it all. Five and a half sacks last year, twelve and a half tackles for loss. Also had two interceptions. He's got the range. He can line up over the uh, over the uh, the slot wide receiver from the nickel position or the star position. This is a dynamic Swiss Army knife on the on the defensive side of the ball, and he's got a little thump when he comes up to tackle offensive players, ball carriers. Barrett Carter is one to watch. I know a lot of people don't want to watch defense in college football, but he's a guy that you should be paying attention to because you're going to hear his name called relatively early in next year's NFL draft.
0: Number four.
2: Number four, wide receiver out of Ohio State and not the guy you may be thinking, Michelle. This is Emeka Ebuka, wide receiver. He's unbelievable. Last year, 74 catches, 1,100 yards, and 10 touchdowns. This dude is the guy that nobody's talking about at Ohio State because everybody's focused on Marvin Harrison Jr., But this dude is going to be a top 10 player in the National Football League. Ohio State has turned itself into a bit of a factory when it comes to the wide receiver position. Look at this past year with Jackson Smith and Jigba. I mean, they keep pumping out guys year over year. Two years ago, Garrett Wilson, who plays for the Jets. I I mean, they keep pumping out wide receiver after wide receiver. And Emeka is going to be another one of those guys that's a top 10 pick. Number three. Number three is going to be Drake May, quarterback out of UNC. This is going to be a guy that comes off the board in the first three picks. 6'4", 220 pounds. He won ACC Rookie of the Year and Offensive Player of the Year. Honors in his first full season as a starter. I mean, this guy is unbelievable. Complete 63 of his passes, thrown 20-plus yards downfield, which is unbelievable accuracy for a down-the-field passer. So, this is a guy that has a lot, a lot of special tools. He's got great touch on his deep ball, and he's got the mobility that you look for out of a modern-day quarterback. Number two. Number two has got to be Marvin Harrison Jr., right? I mean, 6'4", 205 pounds. We saw it in the college football playoff semifinal. I mean, Marvin Harrison Jr. took over that game. If he didn't get hurt, We could be talking about Ohio State and not Georgia winning the national championship. He was just that good. And you're talking about guys on that Georgia defense that, by and large, play on Sundays. Keely Ringo got drafted to the Philadelphia Eagles. He was in that Georgia secondary. He plays, or he's going to be playing on Sundays. The defensive front players all on Georgia play on Sundays. This is a guy that dominated that game. He might have been the best player on the field in that college football playoff semifinal, and that's high praise for a lot of guys that got drafted into the NFL this past spring. So Marvin Harrison Jr., he's the one to watch, might be the best non-quarterback in all of college football.
0: Number one.
2: Number one has to be Caleb Williams, right? Heisman Trophy winner Caleb Williams at USC. I mean, what's understood ain't got to be said, Michelle. 4,500 yards passing, 42 touchdowns. I mean, Lincoln Riley keeps pumping out quarterbacks. Uh, I mean, I I don't expect that there is going to be any fall off. If anything, he's going to be better because he has more weapons around him this year. Yeah, they lost Jordan Addison, but guess what? USC, they're just reloading at this point because of the Lincoln Riley recruiting factory that he's building in Southern Cal. So Caleb Williams, he is must-see TV when it comes to the world of college football, the most exciting player to watch in 2023.
1: All right, so give us the list again, Chris, from five to one.
2: The list from five to one, linebacker Barrett Carter-Clemson, Emeka Egbuka, wide receiver, Ohio State. We've got quarterback Drake May from UNC, wide receiver Marvin Harrison Jr. from Ohio State, and number one, Caleb Williams, quarterback, USC.
1: Even if your team doesn't stink, you're going to want to watch these five players, especially Caleb Williams, because how many teams with a question mark at quarterback are going to be almost pumped if you're a fan base because you think that you might be in the running for Caleb Williams?
2: A lot. Yes, yes, a lot, a lot. I mean, this is a guy that would make you think twice if you're a team like the Arizona Cardinals. Do we really want to roll with Kyler Murray or do we want to take a shot at Caleb Williams? I'm just saying he's that talented where you're going to have to think about it. Similar to the decision that the Chicago Bears had when they had the number one pick. Are we going to stay with Justin Fields or are we going to draft Bryce Young? Mm-hmm. Well, Caleb Williams has the kind of talent where it might move the needle toward taking the young guy out of college over the proven commodity in the NFL ranks. He's that talented of a thrower.
1: There's so many questions about Kyler Murray and his future in Arizona, especially because the Cardinals will be in a position to draft somebody like a Caleb Williams, potentially. But I I think about the injuries, Chris, I think even though it got rectified about that clause, the independent study clause that was in his contract and maybe some conversations that have been out there about his preparation. And again, I know Arizona came came back and they rectified all of that. But it's still to me has a lot of questions surrounding whether he's going to be the guy. And if you have a young talent like Caleb Williams at your disposal, I can't imagine that they would be looking elsewhere.
2: Yeah, I don't think that's going to be happening. I think they're going to focus on the quarterback spot. And if for no other reason, Michelle, you can reset the clock on what you're paying your quarterback. Why pay Kyler Murray $47 million a year when you can pay Caleb Williams $10 million a year?
1: Exactly. He's Chris Canty. I'm Michelle Smallman. And coming up, we're going to stick with college football. What can we expect from Nick Saban and Bama this season? And are they the top villain in college football? That's next. Canty and Carlin on ESPN Radio.
4: Ten seconds on the clock. How many things can you name that are always growing? Your relationships, your skills, your customer base. How about businesses on Shopify? (laughs) Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jet's signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jet's Pizza, better because it has to be.
0: Canty and Carlin, the podcast.
1: He's Chris Canty. I'm Michelle Smallman. It's Canty and Carlin on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. It's hard to believe, Chris, that we are this close to college football. It's right around the corner. And part of what makes college football so fun is a villain. College football needs a villain. You kind of need that team, that program, or a player to hate. Who do you think the villain is in college football right now? Oh, it's undoubtedly got to be
2: the Georgia Bulldogs, right? That's an easy team to hate, especially with all of the controversy surrounding the tragic accident after their national championship parade down there in Athens and, and all of the things that have been going on with that Georgia program and their players engaging in at-risk activities and speeding and whatnot. So I think it's the Georgia Bulldogs. They're, they're vying for an opportunity to three-peat. It'll be the first team in college football history to be able to do that. So I just think that that would be the team that we're looking at as the villain in the landscape of college football.
1: Well, let's bring in our SEC Network analyst, Jordan Rogers, who joins us from SEC Media Day. Same question to you, Jordan. First of all, and thank you for joining us. Who's the villain in college football right now? Is it the Georgia Bulldogs?
5: Well, I think it is. It was always Alabama, right? Until so Georgia decided to go back-to-back in the natties. The problem is, this is it's not like your villain in elementary school that they talk tough and they're not really tough when you hit them in the mouth. Georgia backs it up. That's the issue. I mean, I thought it was... The craziest thing I've seen in a long time being on the sideline for the playoff game, Georgia against Ohio State, Georgia was significantly bigger than Ohio State. Now, look, it's not all about about who's the biggest team, but the physicality, the speed, the Kirby Smart continues to recruit year in and year out, let alone when they're staying on the field against TCU. I mean, TCU looked like a high school team. So Georgia is the one to beat. They're the bully right now. The problem is when you punch them in the mouth, they punch you right back.
2: Jordan, there's been a lot of talk around in college football about Georgia's toughest challenge being handling this level of success and the players themselves dealing with all of the issues internally, the speeding, the at-risk behaviors. Kirby Smart came out and addressed the speeding in a strong way during their media day yesterday. What was the impression that he left on you and all of the other media members at SEC Media Day when he made his comments?
5: Yeah, it's a good point. And I've spent a lot of time around Kirby. Uh, I think he runs a program that is similar to what Nick Saban has done for a very long time. It's process oriented. It's extremely high on accountability. Now I just think we're not realizing this is an area of college football that is unlike any others. And I'm not condoning any type of behavior, but when players leave the locker room, the coaches can tell you what to do, what not to do. But at the end of the day, it's the players policing the standard outside the locker room as well. And now you have, you know, kids that have resources to buy nice cars. Right. And, and do things that, that maybe when we were in college, you know, we didn't have. We had a jalopy or a scooter, and those things only go, you know, 45 miles an hour. So <laughs> I, I think that we're just realizing that kids have more resources and access to, to shiny, cool things. And, and when you're an 18 year old, it's cool to speed. And so I think what really needs to happen is yes, we need to hold coaching staffs and hold everybody accountable for things that happen in your program, no doubt. But a situation like this, the players have to be the ones that police this standard and say, hey, this isn't cool. This is sacrificing the safety of others, sacrificing the safety of yourself, and it's something that we can't do. So it's not a problem that gets fixed overnight. Um, yes, there should be questions about culture, but having been so close to Kirby for so long, um, I know he is addressing this head on, and I think then it falls on the responsibility of these players uh, to be grown uh, you know, even as tough as it is as an 18-year-old when the world is your oyster.
2: Talking to SEC network analyst Jordan Rogers on Candy and Carlin. You can follow him on Twitter at JRogers11. And Jordan, switching gears, man. We we have the ESPN radio rank them, the top five must-see college football players this season. I came out with my list about a half an hour ago, and here's my list from five to one. I've got Barrett Carter, linebacker from Clemson, Emeka Ekbuka, Ohio State wide receiver, Drake Baller. May, quarterback from Carolina. Marvin Harrison, Jr., Ohio State wide receiver, and then Caleb Williams, quarterback, USC. What did you make of my top five, and which one of those guys are you most excited to see in 2023?
5: No, I love it. And how about the fact you got two Ohio State receivers on that list? I mean, talk about the rich getting richer for what they've even had in the past. I'm really excited to see Caleb Williams. I know that's the easy answer, um, but the guy is poised to back up what he did last year. Um, and if he can play to that level, um, he's going to not only play himself into a number one overall draft pick, but he has a real chance to back up the Heisman Trophy with another one, which has never been done. Um, obviously, they need to get better on defense, and that's kind of what I'll be watching. But Caleb Williams is a, a Patrick Mahomes type talent that has better production. Uh, I'm not saying he's going to be better than Patrick; he won't be. Um, probably, you know, it's the easy answer. But <laughs> I throw another one onto that list: Joe Milton from Tennessee, the quarterback. Yes. We saw. What happened with Anthony Richardson? A guy who, frankly, just had okay tape in college. Like it was fine. There was lots to not like, and there was lots to like. But he's a generational type athlete. Joe Milton has the strongest, the most talented arm I've ever seen in person. Now, it doesn't mean you're going to be a good quarterback, but I tell you what, he has good tape already, and that offense is set up to have to allow him to have huge success, put up huge numbers. If he has a good season, he'll be a top ten draft pick. If he has a great season. He could play himself into the conversation of top five in that number one pick. He's that talented, and I think he's that much of
1: a generational talent. Jordan, speaking of quarterbacks, I know Nick Saban provided an update about his quarterback competition that's happening right now. Three guys competing for that position. At SEC Media Days, who is everybody talking about? Who do you think is the leader in the clubhouse to be the Alabama quarterback?
5: Boy, I did their spring game. So uh, I watched Ty Simpson and Jalen Milrow up close. Jalen Milrow is the guy that can make the wow plays, right? Incredibly gifted as an athlete, huge arm, but he makes too many of the wow plays where Nick Saban is screaming and yelling because it's a turnover. He can't do that under Nick Saban. So I truly do believe this is a two-man race between Ty Simpson and Tyler Buckner, the transfer from Notre Dame. Now I'll say this, the offensive coordinator is Tommy Reese. Do you think he would have stuck his neck out in the transfer portal to bring a former quarterback who wasn't even his full-time starter into the mix if he didn't think... He was talented enough to be the starter. So I truly believe that it's going to be Tyler Buckner at some point. In a weird way, I think Ty Simpson maybe has a leg up right now because this isn't Notre Dame's offense. Tommy Reese came in, and he runs Nick Saban's offense, the Alabama offense. So him and Buckner both learning Ty Simpson has the leg up a little bit, but I see this battle going into week one and maybe even a little further.
2: Jordan, we heard from SEC Commissioner Greg Sankey on what he thought needed to happen when it comes to conference realignment and navigating this uh, ever-evolving landscape of NIL. He said that we might have to potentially see congressional oversight when it comes to a couple of those things. What are your thoughts on on what's happening when it comes to conference realignment, knowing that you're talking about Texas and Oklahoma joining the SEC a year from now?
5: I mean, I love it. Um, You know, I I think there's a lot to be hesitant and apprehensive about, but I think at least for the SEC, speaking for the SEC, having the rivalries of Texas, Texas A&M coming back, having the old school rivalries of an Oklahoma-Arkansas, both recently being really close. I mean, those are the games that I want to see back on the radar. Alabama-Texas we've gotten to see last year, get to see it again this year. There's so many matchups that have deep-rooted history for these blue – blue blood type programs in college football. So I think at its core, expansion is a good thing. I agree though. I think as a whole, the NCAA or just let's say college football moving forward when it comes to NIL, when it comes to scheduling in conferences, SEC, Big Ten, every other conference, I do think there needs to be and start to be some sort of standardization, some sort of roadmap, some sort of equity across the board so teams know what they have in front of them, know what they need to work with with NIL, know the restrictions, know the limitations, and everybody's on more of a level playing field. It's the Wild Wild West right now, which is okay, and it's benefited players as it should. But I think moving forward, as we start to figure out what the governing body is, who the governing body is, as this all changes, I think that'll go a long way to, to stabilize the sport.
1: SEC Network analyst Jordan Rogers joining us. Follow him on social media at jrogers 11 Jordan, thanks so much for the time.
5: Thanks, y'all. Appreciate it.
1: Chris Canty, Michelle Smallman. And coming up next, Sixers GM Daryl Morey says they're only trading James Harden for a player that keeps the team competitive. So who blinks first? Is it going to be Morey or Harden? We talk about it next here on ESPN Radio.
4: Splash! Shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is hypnotic and tequila season. Hypnotic Liqueur, Bardstown, Kentucky, 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely.
0: This is the Canty and Carlin Podcast.
1: Who blinks first? Between James Harden and Daryl Morey. Chris Canty, Michelle Smallman on Canteen Carlin ESPN Radio. And Chris, after James Harden opted into his $35.6 million deal for this upcoming season, he made it clear that he wants to be traded. And reportedly, he wants to play for the L.A. Clippers. Daryl Morey the GM of the 76ers who has a long standing relationship with James Harden was on 97.5 the, Fan- the fanatic and he was asked about James Harden wanting out and he revealed what what Philly could be looking for in return
3: James is a very good player. Right now, unfortunately, he does prefer to be somewhere else. I do have a long relationship with him. I'm attempting to honor that. But the reality is, if we do look at a trade, it's going to be for one of two things. It's either going to be for a player who continues to help us be right there, like we were last year, or we're going to do it for something where we get enough draft picks and things like that in a deal such that we can then turn those into a player who can be a running mate with joel as well but if we don't get either a very good player or something that we can turn into a very good player then we're just not going to do it and if james were to turn his mind around we would all be thrilled you heard joel's comments about that but at this moment he does prefer to be traded and we're attempting to honor that
2: well we have to put the caveat on there right michelle he wants to be traded but he also wants his money And and sometimes as players, especially when you get into the twilight of your career, when you're not in the heart of your prime, you can't always have both of those things. And I think that's where we're at with James Harden. James Harden had the opportunity to decline his $35 million player option and sign as a free agent, whether it be with the L.A. Clippers or somewhere else. He decided that he wanted to opt in because he realized he wasn't going to get the money that he was looking for on a multi-year deal from anybody else. And so that's a James Harden problem. Now, he'd be hard-pressed to find a place where you're going to have a better supporting cast, have an opportunity to play with an MVP-caliber player that stays healthy like Joel Embiid. He's going to be hard-pressed to find a landing spot where he can get those things and get his money. So if you're James Harden, it's about putting yourself in the best position to boost your value so that when you do become a true free agent after the 2023-2024 season – you can get what you're looking for. But right now, based on how you played last year in the regular season and the postseason, Mm -hmm. nobody wanted to commit to you at a multi-year deal at $35 million plus per year. So the reality is the market has spoken, and James Harden needs to make the most of a less-than-ideal situation. And that less-than-ideal situation just so happens to be playing alongside A guy that's led the league in scoring in back-to-back years and a guy that just won his first MVP on the right side of 30 years old in Joel Embiid.
1: This feels to me more like a marital tiff rather than than an impending divorce. Like Damian Lillard in Portland to me, that's a divorce. They're going to court. Mm. They're going to divide the assets. They want to move on. (laughs) This feels like a tiff that a mediator can come in and figure out. You have Joel Embiid publicly saying, we'd be thrilled if James Harden comes back. I hope he can change his mind. You have Daryl Morey publicly saying, if James were to turn his mind around, we'd all be thrilled. They're publicly saying, we want him to be here. So I know that right now his intention is to still get traded but I think knowing that he's wanted there and maybe they can find a way to find a compromise and and he can have that ego be a little bit more intact I think that we'll see him turn back so I mentioned the Joel Embiid comments about him wanting James Harden back Daryl Morey spoke about those comments on 97.5 The Fanatic
3: He and I spoke, look, part of it's just at the end of the day, he's talking about the business of the NBA. In his mind, he wants to win here. He wants to win it for Philly. That's the only place he wants to win. He absolutely was sort of referencing the fact that it's not totally in his control where he is at all times.
1: Oh, excuse me, Chris. That was about the comments Joel Embiid made where he later said he was trolling, saying he wants to win in Philly or elsewhere.
2: Yeah, come on, man. Like, Joel Embiid is in control of where he wants to be. Like uh, That is fully within his control. We've seen it time and time again. When NBA stars want to be traded, they get moved. If NBA stars want to stay put, they're going to stay. Think about how long Portland stayed with Damian Lillard, even though it was probably in their best interest to move on from him. They stayed with the guy because the guy said he wanted to be there. Superstars, if they want to be in a place, don't get traded because most of these teams recognize how hard it is to get one. Philadelphia went through a decade of losing before they were able to go to, to have the opportunity to draft a guy like Joel Embiid. It's hard to get star players. So when the guy says that they want to w- be there and they're an MVP caliber player, they're not getting traded. So I'm not buying what Daryl Morey said and Joel acknowledging that it's not solely within his control. It's absolutely within his control. If he wants to be in Philly, he'll stay in Philly. But the Sixers organization has got some work to do in order to convince Joel that this is a place he can compete and win a title. Based on how things have looked and this second round ceiling that they keep running into, that's a problem. So, Daryl Morey, get busy or get ready to trade and beat.
0: Thanks for listening to the Canty and Carlin podcast. You can listen to the show live weekdays from 3 to 7 Eastern on ESPN Radio. Plus, you can listen on the ESPN app Canty and Carlin, the podcast.